the big names you know, the other guys you've never heard of, until now. This is Around the Nest, Jay talking around the Blue Jays minor league system. I'm Jesse Goldberg Strassler with the Lansing Lugnuts. Coming up this week, Dunedin, New Hampshire, Buffalo, Lansing. We'll go all around. We'll talk about how things have been going in Dunedin, where they've been walking off each of the last two nights. Plus, in Lansing, Gabriel Moreno debuted with a splash, a home run in his first at-bat, and he was not done either. For New Hampshire, is Brock Lundquist breaking out? How about Kevin Smith? Plus, Patrick Murphy and Nate Pearson have been great. And with Buffalo, we'll talk with Pat Malacaro about a special visit they went on recently. But we begin with Jim Tarabokia with the Dunedin Blue Jays. Jim, how are you? Hey, Jesse, how's it going? It's going well. Before we get into it and your past week's worth of action, on our Bluebird Banter post, it was posted by Hayden Godfrey, and he put up a list of different bullet-pointed questions from the Around the Nest gang to everybody listening in, commenting in. I loved one of those questions. And here it is to post to you as well as to other, the other broadcasters. What's your fondest sure. memory of watching minor league baseball? Um, I think being at the level that I'm at right now, at the advanced day level, getting the chance um, to watch these kids truly grow uh, into ball players um, professionally and um, set the um, the groundwork for the, the next level, the double A and the triple A level, and eventually the big leagues. I, I always tell people. Um, what it was like watching Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette play, and specifically what I enjoyed about it the most. Of course, the talent was excellent, um, but I enjoy watching guys like like those two and, and Kevin Biggio and um, Kevin Smith, um, Cullen Large this year, Christian Williams is now at the AA level. Watching these guys um, grow up right in front of my eyes on a nightly basis. Uh, at times, um, making certain mistakes, but then the next day learning from them and not making the same mistakes. Um, and being able to develop their tools um, to the highest, to their highest capabilities. I mean, a lot of that happens here at this level because it's great pitching. You're three steps, some would say two and a half steps away from the majors, maybe even two steps, depending on some guys jumping from double A to triple, um, double A to the major leagues. So uh, watching these guys grow at this level um, into ball players, into, into real professional uh, ball players and getting that, that proper seasoning that could differentiate whether or not they're going to actually make it to the big league level and whether they will succeed at the double A AA and triple A level on a nightly basis. That's probably the, the, the best experience for me. Um, just watching it from um, even uh, an evaluation side of things. About, one of those players that you mentioned about Christian Williams, who is now up in Double A, New Hampshire, and so far playing really well. How did you see him develop in Dunedin? Sure, I, you know I watched him um, specifically with, with offensively um, control control the strike zone a lot better um, than, may, than he may have in previous years. I've always said with him, I watched him the first week or two with his bat tip. Uh, I call it the Ted Williams type hitch, which I love. Uh, and watching his wrist strength, because that's not an easy thing to do, um, to the bat tip like that. Um, it, you know, he, he, there's so many so many moving parts. You have to get the bat back to the cocked position. Um, that's just a hitch to get your hands going. But he was able to do it flawlessly. Um, and just to watch his overall swing, um, I, I thought it just it plays at the next level. Matty Young, our hitting coach, said the same exact thing, that it plays the next level. 
Um, and it's going to continue to play at the next level. He just has to stay healthy. So I, I think with Christian, um, it, the main thing with him, watching him develop, um, you know, he was a sneaky good uh, defender as well. But watching him really control the strike zone, look very comfortable at the plate, um, and his ability to stay on the field and stay healthy and be available to play every night. About your games, recently, as a matter of fact, specifically the last two games, two days ago, Ryan Noto, sure. a walk-off Grand Slam, and then Casey Clemens, the walk-off RBI single yesterday. How about the dramatics that you've witnessed? Sure. Yeah, you know, it's good to see with, with Casey, a guy who was struggling at the AA level. Um, he, he actually started that rally, too, um, where we tied the game to the ninth inning. Um, in the first walk-off uh, at off yesterday, so it was what Thursday? Today's no, today's Friday. So it was it was Wednesday, and um, um, I, I was happy to see that in both both uh, both days um, with, with Casey Clemens, um, and, and then to to, uh, to see the the team win that that second game of the doubleheader where we were on the verge of losing a fifth consecutive game and probably would have dropped us out of first place, but. Now we've won two straight, and now we're back two games up in first place. Um, that was a really gutsy one. I, I talk a lot about with this team how how we got, we've gutted out a lot of wins. And um, that I think we did it against Tampa last week. We did it against Jupiter in some inauspicious circumstances. I mean, not playing since – um, since Saturday, uh, and then going out there and playing on Wednesday, that's what Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, that's about three and a half, uh, a four day layoff, um, where the team was prepared to play, but the grounds were just too wet. Um, you know, nothing that we could do about our grounds were doing the best they could. Um, and, and that, that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, and that, that type of layoff like that, and then to come out and, and have to play a double header, Winning that second game was huge, and, and the walk-offs made it, made it even better. Speaking with Jim Tarabocchi of the Dunedin Blue Jays, lastly, Jim, was there a pitching performance from this past week that really stood out to you? Um, I think Graham Spraker, and I think his, his performance has really stood out um, to me the entire year. I mean, here's a guy who's kind of been shuttled from the bullpen um, back to the starting rotation. Um, with all the, the moving parts that we've had down here. Uh, but again, yesterday, he uh, he just fills up the strike zone, and he just commands, and his, his mechanics are very good. And he's uh, at times um, um, got that whippy-type arm action. So uh, to me, he's been by far uh, the most uh, impressive pitcher outside of Nate Pearson. Um, he's been the most impressive pitcher. Um, that we've had thus far. Nick Algeyer has been another guy that, is, that has stood out um, for me as well. So, uh, and, and Graham pitched yesterday and Nick's pitching tomorrow. So those, those two guys had a heck of a week last week. Um, and uh, uh, I think uh, it will continue this week as it, it already has with Graham. The Dunedin Blue Jays play at Lakeland, then they host Lakeland. In a matter of speaking, it's the old home-and-home two-and-two. And And that's coming up the next couple of days. We've got the doubleheader coming up on the 19th, and then it's off to St. Lucie. Jim, thank you very much. All right, Jesse, thank you. Have a good one. All right. At Jim Tara on Twitter, the voice of the DJs, the Blue Jays A Advanced Affiliate. And now he was mentioning Nate Pearson and Christian Williams. They moved up the ladder, and we go up the ladder with them. 
to Tyler Murray, the voice of the people and the voice of AA New Hampshire. Tyler, how are you? Jesse, my guy, I am doing so well. Thank you for uh, bringing me in this week. All right. Well, let's start off with that question of the week posed by Hayden Godfrey on that Bluebird Banter Around the Nest uh, Twitter thread, which is, what's your fondest memory of watching minor league baseball? Man, fondest memory of minor league baseball? I mean, we had a really good call from Mark Schwartz with the Somerset Patriots last night, right? Catching a foul ball on the air. I'm I'm sure you saw that, right? (laughs) He's so great. uh, He's so impressed by himself. Oh man, and I was too. I I was jealous because I, I had a sim, I had a similar moment in 2013 with the Dunedin Blue Jays. A foul ball came right back, and uh, I snagged it. It was cool. I said uh, I just caught a foul ball. Today's been a great day, and then I kind of just went on rambling. Uh, so not nearly as cool as what we saw yesterday, but that was uh, that, that was definitely a great memory for me. I was thinking, what a great opportunity to hold out your headset and do a literal mic job. <laughs> if only, if only. All right, that's your New Hampshire Fisher Cats themselves. And we can begin with Nate Pearson, late of Dunedin, currently with New Hampshire. I'm going to ask you first about what your thoughts are on him, but I've got a follow-up, so be warned. What have you thought about Big Nate? I mean, I love it. It's really fun to watch this kid pitch, and I'm sure, as, as you've noticed, he's alternating five innings and two innings in every single start so far this year. I don't know if that's necessarily on purpose or not, but we know he's on, on some kind of pitch limit or innings limit. So um, he's he seemed to handle that really, really well. He came up here, and the weather's been nasty, and he's embraced that. I, I can't think of his uh, introduction song on the, out of the top of my head, but it's something about grinding through the rain. So he did that with two perfect innings, three strikeouts, uh, one ball left the infield, and he hit 101 on, on the radar gun. And I think it was our, our guy Keegan Matheson from Baseball Toronto. He was just tuned into that game on MILB TV. And I think he said it best. Nate Pearson could already be too good for the Eastern League, which is wild to think about because he's thrown seven innings over two different starts, but he's given up two hits, no walks, and 11 strikeouts. And it's it's not like he's going up against – uh, guys who haven't earned their way to double A. These are good professional hitters, and he's making them look less than. The follow-up question is a question that I know that you and I were asked a ton about Vladdy or about Bo, about all of those different players who come up the ladder. Have you given any thought to that potential future timeline for Nate Pearson? In terms of when you think he could be in the major leagues? Exactly. Well, let's say next step would be Buffalo, step after that Toronto. Do you think that you're going to have him for the rest of this year? I think if he has another good couple of months, or I guess he strings together one good month, um, because of course he's only been here for about a week plus now, but it doesn't seem like the Blue Jays are shy about moving him up quickly. Uh, as you know, he had just that one start last year with a freak injury, but I mean, right away, under a month into his uh, season with the DJs, he's up here in New Hampshire. You know, the first-round pick with a guy with this kind of talent. At 22 years old, it's not like he's a teenager like we saw with Flatty last year. Um, and I don't, I, I wouldn't pretend to know the particulars about the, what the Blue Jays want to do with service time and all that, but I don't think there's any reason, aside from the injury and the innings limit, uh, to try to keep him at a certain level for a certain amount of time. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he's uh, continuing to move up as long as they're not worried, again, about those limits we talked about. 
He's a big guy, but let's not let his height, stature, and performance overshadow some of the other starters. Jensi Diaz went out there and threw scoreless baseball for you, and Patrick Murphy's been great, too. What have your thoughts been and observations on watching those others starting pitching? It really is incredible how much this rotation has lived up to the hype. And Diaz is a guy who, on certain days this year, you watch him pitch, and it's like, man, this guy's. I mean, he's ready. He's ready to go. He, he attacks hitters. He doesn't allow base runners, and when they get on, he's been really good at getting double plays, getting some help from the defense behind him. And it's when he gets into a rhythm, I mean, we've seen him in two different starts. Actually, his first start ever, he faced a minimum over six innings. And then his very last start, seven shutout innings, a two-hitter. It was a complete game because it was a doubleheader. I mean, when this guy gets locked in, Diaz is as good as we've seen. But Patrick Murphy, I mean – this guy just has a curveball that it feels like he's comfortable using it any count, any situation. He'll get you to swing and miss in the dirt, or he'll plant it on the corner, or he'll even hang one in there, but you're not ready for it, so it drops over the middle for strike three. It's incredible how he uses that curveball. And his fastball and changeup, they're coming along great. I mean, the fastball, my goodness, it was hitting 98 uh, during his ridiculous outing, his first career 10-strikeout performance. Uh, that came uh, in his last start, which was here on, on Wednesday morning. So uh, that was one of the more dominant starts I've seen. A 10 strikeouts, seven innings, three hits, and a walk. And it was at least seven of his 10 strikeouts, at least in my estimation, came on that big looping curveball that the, the fight and Phil's just had no chance on. With the Lansing Lugnuts, if you go back some years ago, we had Murphy for a brief stint while Ryan Brucky was in our starting rotation. And they are best of buds. They were Thunder Buddies. They both came up with Thunder Buddies t-shirts, and they would wear them around everywhere with each other. You can never hurt me because you're, what, just God's farts or whatever it is? It's, it's the Ted movie. It's a while ago. I don't remember. But, yes, terrific. More, more, more terrific pitching in the system. It's been, it's been fun to watch. Let's talk about your hitting now. Uh, Brock Lundquist, Kevin Smith, good performances recently. Are they breaking out? It's been really fun to watch these guys adjust to the, the hitting here in the Eastern League. Ke- Kevin Smith first we'll talk about because just so great to see him the last two days. Five hits in his last nine at-bats now after uh, what was, I mean, we don't like to bring it up, but it was the longest slump in, uh, in Fisher Cats franchise history. He was 0 for 34, if you can believe it. And I think at certain points you saw him maybe try to slow that swing down, just whatever you can do to get it into play, not overswing. So obviously you're, you're going to overthink things when you're in that kind of slump, but uh, no surprise he was able to bust out of it. The home run he hit two days ago was a no-doubter, and then three hits yesterday, including a double. So uh, it seems like we expected once he gets out of the, the big-time skid, he's going to bust out in a big way because he started the season on a four-game hitting streak. Then he had a three-hit game in his sixth-ever game in double-A, so, I mean, plus a walk-off uh, in the first week of the season. So Kevin Smith, he'll be absolutely fine. It was just good to see him uh, break out of it. And there was never a moment – uh, Jesse, when he seemed to hang his head or, or feel down about it. He always seemed to be in pretty good spirits. So that was exciting to see him break through. And, yeah, Brock Lundquist, similar, I would say, in terms of just being a guy who's way too talented to struggle all year. And uh, the encouraging thing for me is seeing him have more success now going lefty against lefty. It was 
almost a month before he was able to get a hit against a lefty, mostly because he's facing a lot of righties and because the lefties in this league are nasty. But once you saw him get that first hit against a lefty, he seemed to settle in a bit. And he's hitting 275 for the entire year against right-handed pitchers. So it's it's encouraging to see what Lundquist has been able to do. And it's, uh, it's, it's a better feel to this lineup now with some pretty tough outs up and down this lineup now that everyone seems to be getting settled in. Yeah, how about that lineup with Alberto Mineo breaking out, Christian Williams as a new addition, Patrick Hibbelham as a new addition? It's really nice. We saw on a doubleheader on Tuesday that Kivlahan was added in the trade. Christian Williams just came up, and it seems like that's working out great for everybody, that little swap of the first baseman, because Casey Clemens playing the hero down there in Dunedin, we heard uh, Jim tell us about uh, a few moments ago. So great to see Casey getting more at-bats and having success. But Christian Williams, the first pitch he saw here in double-A, he smoked a double into right center field, and it was uh, his first of two doubles in that doubleheader. So He's acclimating quite nicely so far to the Eastern League. And it, it just gave you the feel when you have a guy like Patrick Kivlahan, who's got a full season plus of Major League experience, when you can put him in at your three spot, uh, he hasn't exactly been uh, knocking the cover off the ball every time up, but just to have that presence in there, it's it felt like a stabilizing force in this uh, batting order. So it, it's definitely made a difference. Even with yesterday's loss, the Fisher Cats have won five of seven. So it, it could be a time in the season where we can look back to as a, as a turning point if they're able to uh, get this uh, season back over 500. Fisher Cats are on the road playing at the Hartford Yard Goats before they'll be coming back home very shortly. And that is a long homestand, a seven-gamer against Altoona and Hartford from the 21st to the 27th. Tyler, thank you very much. And thank you for not bringing up the NBA Draft Lottery. Go Knicks. You're the best, Jesse, and we will talk to you soon. Go Wizards. You've got it. The voice of the people, Tyler Murray at LT underscore underscore two underscores Murray. He is the voice of the people and the lieutenant's double-A voice of the New Hampshire Fisher Cats joining Bob Lippman and Tyler Zickel for the call. I join Adam Jackson for the call with the Lansing Lugnuts. The Lugnuts just received a new catcher, Gabriel Moreno, joining the team, and it was his very first at bat. He is only 19 years old, choking up big time. The pitch. He swings and hammers it to left. Hanson goes back at the wall. It's gone. Gabriel Moreno debuts with a tater out on the home run hill in left field. one nothing Lugnuts. Adam Jackson, let's start things off by talking about Gabriel Moreno, only 19 years of age. What a first impression he made. Yeah, Jesse, he was really fun to watch, and it was unique to see that the Lugnuts decided to bring up a third catcher because once Alejandro Kirk got promoted to Dunedin, they had been rotating between Ryan Gould and Hagen Danner, so wasn't sure if there was going to be a third catcher in the future. And uh, with some other injuries to their top prospects right now in the IL, it was good to see Moreno come up right now as uh, he's ranked 18th highest prospect by MLB Pipeline. And he was fantastic. Gets that home run on the first swing after, or on the first at bat after following off a few pitches. Then remember in that game, they were down four to two in kind of a back and forth game in the series finale against West Michigan. He comes up with a clutch two out single in the fourth to tie the game back at four. And then he tripled, showed his speed in the eighth. Between all of that, too, only coming a double short of the cycle, he also threw out a couple of batters that were trying to steal second base. Uh, one of them in particular, 
his uh, position player wasn't even at the bag. He threw it to a spot. Otto Lopez came flying out of nowhere, caught the ball, and just kind of jumped down and made the tag. So it was a blind throw, but uh, it just showed that he gave us a lot of tools on that first game with the hitting and then with the ability to uh, pick off a couple of guys trying to swipe backs. And this was all the Lansing Lugnuts finishing off a home sweep of the West Michigan Whitecaps. Three games. Adam, they were all close, and yet they were much needed coming in uh, the midst of road woes. How about that three-game home series? Well, thank goodness we're playing West Michigan, right, Jesse? I mean, uh, six straight wins against the Whitecaps, and, and they've been the team that the Lugnuts have been able to figure out in the Eastern Division after they had lost three of four to West Michigan at the beginning of the year. So much needed. We talked about the, the road losing streak last week uh, while we were on that road trip. They ended up losing all of those games. Um, so you needed to come home and kind of brush up and get a better feel. And the Lugnuts numbers this year offensively have been so much better at Cooley Law School Stadium. And the fact that they were able to come through with some clutch hits, they had some really nice bullpen outings Uh in that series as well. Marcus Reyes comes to mind. Um, Also, Jackson Reese continues to be phenomenal. They left a lot of West Michigan runners stranded and got those key hits when they needed, and then got those key performances down the stretch from the bullpen pitchers. So certainly much needed to get that three-game sweep, and uh, it was nice to get back in the win column at home. Good times at home, not so good times on the road. The Lugnuts have uh, <laughs> lost nine consecutive games away from Cooley Law School Stadium. That is entering Friday night. Who knows when you're going to listen to this? Who knows if the losing streak will be done or extended? What's going on with the Lugnuts away from Lansing? Well, just talked a little bit about it, Jesse. It's been a lot of the hitting woes have been when they leave Cooley Law School Stadium, which is well documented as a hitter's park, they have struggled, and uh, that has continued on the road, I mean, they're, they're averaging right around six runs per game at home. Uh, on the road, they're averaging under three runs per game. I mean, they're hitting as an average up around 285, uh, just to give you some numbers. On the road, hitting around 225. I mean, more doubles, more triples, more home runs, everything at home. And then when they go out on the road, and we saw it in that six-game trip just about a week ago, they were first struggling to get guys on base. Now they ran into some really good pitching out of the Houston Astros system and quad cities. But even when they were getting guys on base, we got to Kane County and you started to find guys on base, but they weren't getting those key hits at the opportune moments. Um, So that's been the real thing for them. And it all comes back to the Lugnuts have not been a comeback team this year. They've been a, let's take the lead early and let's hold on and continue to put pressure as the game goes on. They have not scored a lot of early runs on these road trips. And the other thing, they haven't been shut out a lot. But here we look on this nine-game swing on the road where they've lost nine in a row. They've been shut out three different times. It was back-to-back against Quad Cities uh, in that last six-game road trip. And then they were shut out and beaten the worst that they've been beaten this season in any game by nine runs. Now, it was shortened to just six innings because of uh, some thunderstorms in the area. But they were only one hit. So one hit the least that they've had this season in a game, and losing by nine runs, uh, combining that with the shutouts, just nothing has gone right. So I think for them, they need to find a way to come out and start better on the road because they don't seem to have an issue feeding off the crowd and the energy and being in their comfortable spot of Cooley Law School Stadium. But when they get out on the road, 
it takes them some time to kind of get going and gelling and start playing the game that you and I have seen them be capable of playing throughout the season. Let's go back to the positives, and let's go to Nick Podkul. Podkul's Midwest League best 24-game on base streak just came to an end. So now looking back at the streak, which went from April 15th to May 15th, what are your thoughts? Well, it was just a great turnaround. Uh, You and I watched him. uh, It was in Fort Wayne where the season got started. That's where we are now. And uh, his average was right around 100, uh, buck 50. And we really hadn't seen anything offensively from him. Uh, One of the things that I've noticed was just his two-strike approach. He was getting behind a lot in counts, 0-2, 1-2. And when that would happen, you would see the confidence and and things weren't spinning and uh, weren't gelling together as much for him. He just, he didn't look comfortable at the plate. So when he got behind, it was either a strikeout or a ground out, pop out, whatever you want to have it. Um, When he really turned it on and went for that full month from April 15th to May 15th, that 24 game on base streak, he was really good at the plate, specifically with two strikes multiple times. He was getting behind in counts. Oh, two, working them back to walks, working them back to, to a good out or a base hit or a productive at bat in general, the confidence really took off. And, and for him, it, it was all about just sticking to Nick Podkul. I mean, he, he wrote it on his bat, uh, talking with him, uh, just be yourself. So something cheesy and small like that, but it really helped him out. And he just looked really confident and comfortable. I mean, during that streak, he was batting right around 350, slugging around 500. He had 29 hits. He was also taking walks. And then the confidence at the plate, Jesse, was oozing out onto the field as well. Like, I can't remember off the top of my head him making an error that entire on-base streak that he had put together. Like, he looked smooth at the plate, and that was transitioning to the field where that confidence was there as well, making difficult plays. I mean, he's the typical third baseman. He's played third base most of the time. He has switched and played second sometimes this year. So, You know, you get some tough plays over there at the hot corner. He made some nice spins, some good throws to first, handled pretty much everything. And uh, it just really saw, I think, the highest level from Podkul and what potentially is to come from him if he can continue this uh, consistent streak and start a new one. Speaking with Adam Jackson, who broadcasts the Lansing Lugnuts games at my side, let's wrap up with this great question. What is your fondest memory of watching minor league baseball? Mm, this is a good question. I, I, I'm kind of a newbie compared to everybody else, I think, on here. So I, I want to go with something uh, just working and broadcasting in minor league baseball. The first time is this year for me. And, Jesse, one of the things that stands out was a performance that I saw. I've never seen a, a golden cycle before, and we got that and more in April. And what made it so exciting was it was the first time there had been a, quote-unquote, purge night at the ballpark where – Food was free for one half inning, and uh, that half inning happened to be the bottom of the sixth inning. And, of course, in the midst of that golden cycle, you've got to get a grand slam. Well, the fans appreciated the fact that there was free food. They may not have appreciated the fact that there was a grand slam as much because they were focused on the food, and you can't blame them. But in a half inning where the fans are rooting for it to go as long as possible to make sure that – you can get through the lines of the concession stands because they were packed. 
Ryan Gould and the Lugnuts delivered uh, going through nearly the entire lineup. You get a grand slam. You get a long half inning. Uh, the Lugnuts went home big winners over the Dayton Dragons. I think they put up like 16 hits in that series opener. I think it was like a Thursday night. Everyone's happy uh, because they've gotten free food. And you get to see a cycle that went to the ninth inning, and we actually had a, a ruling on whether or not there was going to be an air or a double for Ryan Gould to be able to get it. He gets the double, and there is uh, the cycle, the first for the Lugnuts in uh, some time in their first this season from Ryan Gold. So that was a cool, cool moment this year. I love it, Adam. At Adam Jaxa on Twitter, and you can listen to Adam and I call the Lugnuts games. Adam, thank you very much. All right, Jesse, appreciate it. All right. And so that'll do it in terms of going around all the other broadcasters. The Lansing Lugnuts are on the road, by the way, through Sunday in Fort Wayne. They'll be coming back on Monday, May the 20th, starting up an eight-game homestand at Cooley Law School Stadium, four games against Great Lakes and four games against Lake County as they get all the Lake teams out of the way. There are a couple of questions for me to answer specifically. First, from the minor leaguer, if only one team wins, is it a hashtag org sweep? Is it a cake day? And I think, yes, if only one team plays and one team wins, and that happened to the Lansing Lugnuts because teams were idle and there were two rainouts, then I think it is a cake day, but because it's only 1-0 and rather than, let's say, 4-0, and 5-0, I think we should declare it instead of a cake day, a cupcake day. And everyone is entitled to a free cupcake the next day. What's my fondest memory of watching minor league baseball? I go back a little bit farther than the rest of the guys. They were taking you through, basically, their time watching games when they're getting paid to do it, right? Or at the very least, it's our job. It's our responsibility as a broadcaster. And for me, I always think back to growing up as a minor league baseball fan. I first went to Frederick Keys games and then Bowie Bay Sox games in Maryland. Frederick Keys, I remember shaking the keys. Everybody shakes their keys. So I was handed keys by an adult and I was tiny and I shook them. And the Bowie Bay Sox, my strongest memory was seeing Vladimir Guerrero the very first going five for five in a game and hitting five rockets. That was fantastic. Now, uh, with uh, regard to anything else, this Lansing Lugnuts team, the Dunedin Blue Jays, the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, the Buffalo Bisons, we're going to keep on uh, keeping you updated. As far as the Buffalo Bisons are concerned, our apologies. Pat Malacaro was in a meeting, except hang on, is this Pat Malacaro? Hi, Jesse. Sorry, I uh, couldn't join you a little bit sooner, but yeah, we're, we're here in sunny downtown Buffalo at Salem Field uh, getting ready for the first of three against Louisville tonight. Let's talk about your Buffalo Bisons, and let's first talk about uh, outside the white lines. We talk so much about mm -hmm. what goes on from foul line to foul line on the other side. How about off the field for your herd? Yeah, today was a, a fun day uh, for us here at the, at the ballpark. Is five players joined us when we went to Oshai Children's Hospital, which is uh, the children's hospital here in, in Buffalo. And it's something I got to be a part of last year when uh, I took over uh, the play-by-play -play role for the team, and we had three guys join us. And, again, we put the, uh, the, the sign-up sheet on the, on the whiteboard a couple weeks ago, and uh, not only did we get three guys to join us this year, we had five players uh, that came. Uh, we, we had jerseys, some coloring books, and, and went around to a couple different floors, uh, visited with some children today. So it was a lot of fun, and I think the players uh, got as much out of it as some of the kids who uh, met the players and, and Buster Bison, our mascot as well. So it was a, a really fun day uh, to be involved with the Bison's organization. 
That's fantastic. About your Bisons, first, roster movement, major league level. Of course you're affected. Richard Urania goes up, Tasker Hernandez comes down. What did you see from Richie Urania while he was a Bison? Yeah, nothing stands out, and I mean that in a good way because, you know, so many times we talk about guys making, you know, big hitting streaks, big great plays in the field. Sometimes you see those steady guys on the diamond. I feel like that's what Richard Urania did, whether it be at shortstop, uh, wherever he played uh, on the diamond for the Bisons. There have been guys that have been moving around like Lourdes Gurriel Jr., outfield, infield. Same with Kevin Biggio is going to play in left tonight for the first time. Now, these are things that, uh, you know, you need guys that can just settle in on the infield or settle into a position and allow you that flexibility. And I think of, above all else, that's, I think, the biggest compliment I can give to, to Richard Arrhenia was that he was one of those guys that Bobby Meacham knew he could pencil in, didn't have to worry about, and he went out and did his job every day. I'm looking over your roster right now. Correct me if I'm wrong. Your outfielders are Alfred, Brito, Roman Fields, Guillot, Hernandez, Patterson, and Revere. Did I throw in any name that I shouldn't have? No, and I also add in, add in a couple of guys in Kevin Biggio and Lourdes Correal Jr. who are going to get <laughs> opportunities in the outfield because that's what uh, the Blue Jays front office wants to do as well. So not only do you have the guys that primarily play outfield and are outfielders by trade, but then you've got guys that uh, the Blue Jays want to see the versatility out of as well. And, and so we're, it's a pretty uh, crowded place here at the end. It, there's not much room. Uh, at the end for, for many guys, and it's interesting for Bobby Meacham to try and uh, fill out the jigsaw puzzle, so to speak, every day. It's, it's amazing. I'm picturing all of your pitchers being told, allow fly balls and the infield to be vacated except maybe for a lone first baseman. Yeah, you know, the, the running joke has been, you know, with teams starting to put four outfielders, uh, four position players in the outfield, they've got that uh, Bar League rover, Bar League softball rover, and Really, I mean, it's almost a situation you've got is you've got so many guys that have all can play multiple different positions here. Um, you know, adding the fact that there's uh, defensive shifting that goes on as well. So a uh, whole lot going on here. But I will say, you know, the, the record-wise, the team has struggled. And there's no doubt about it over the last couple of games. But I think it's just a matter of time for guys to uh, come around. You add someone like Teoscar Hernandez, who has excelled at this level on multiple occasions. Um, you know, he's going to come down. He's going to be uh, a good player for this team. He's going to DH tonight uh, for Buffalo, and we'll, we'll see when he gets in the outfield. But uh, there's a lot of players. Alan Hansen, I'll throw, throw him into the conversation. just joined us about a week ago, and he's played third base. He's played it well, and he's come up with some hits. So uh, even though, unfortunately for these players, they, they could not stick at the major league level at this point of the year, uh, it, it's definitely to a benefit of the Bisons to have players of their calibers who have proven at this level time and time again uh, that they, they are very good players. With Pat Molicaro of the Buffalo Bisons, there's a guy we didn't name, a position player, an infielder, Andy Burns. Just a fascinating story. How has it been with Andy? Uh, it's, been, it's been very fun to have Andy for the third time around now and, and first time since going back from Korea. And if you remember, uh, back in 2015, the Blue Jays uh, claimed a reliever named Ben Rowan. And I'm sure you would talk to a to Ben about this because Ben, his parents actually live in Western New York because his father works for a company here locally. So Ben was actually able to live at home with his parents and, uh, while he's, he lives on the West Coast. But the reason I mention that is he was on the team with Andy Burns in 2015 and 16. So 
Uh, it was funny to see those two players facing, face off against each other the other night when Rowan made a spot start, and then Andy was in the starting lineup for the Bisons. And, uh, you know, you look for good veterans that can help teach young players or help young players learn from um, veterans who go about their business and and do it in, in the right way. And I think Andy has been one of those guys this year that uh, has come in and, and wherever he's penciled in, whether it be first, third, uh, he's come in and done that job, and guys can learn from that. A question for you to put you on the spot from the minor leaguer on Twitter. What is the best mm-hmm. part of the chicken wing, the drum, the flat, or the tip? The drum. Uh, uh, I, I say that. I know we are, we are the Buffalo Wings again coming up very soon, and, and we'll wear those uniforms six times for Wings Wednesdays uh, coming up here at the ballpark. Uh, I, I, I say the drum, even though it's hard to go wrong with, with anyone, but um, I think our, our new logo with the, the flat wing, um, kind of like a, the flat wing holding the celery stalk as a baseball bat. Um, I think our, our folks have done a really good job with the new logo and uniform and caps, and I can't wait to go to the gift shop and, and get a cap. I, I always make sure I, I get uh, one of the hats that we that we wear, and, and I We'll definitely, as soon as we have them in stock, or pre-ordering now, as soon as we have them here, I'll be uh, wearing one proudly on my office. Hey, how many baseball caps do you have? Oh, it's nice. I can't even tell you. I mean, well over 50. <laughs> uh, five, uh, five, 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 five. Yeah, all different kinds. Uh, final question, and it's the minor league question, the question from Bluebird Banter, and quite simply, what's your fondest memory of watching minor league baseball? Just sitting here at this ballpark, uh, you know, that makes my story so unique growing up here in Buffalo and living through the glory days of over a million people coming to this ballpark, now Salem Field. It was originally called Pilot Field. There were uh, bleachers in right field where there's a party deck now. This place held 20,000 people, 20, 20,000, 20,000. And there were a lot of nights this place sold out. You could not get a ticket to come to a game here in the first decade of baseball when this park opened about 32 years ago. So just coming here as a kid, sitting in the bleachers with my parents and my brother who's four years younger than me, um, I I have yet to experience the the championship win. There's only been one championship win of the three that the Bison have had in the modern era. And Even though I was an intern the 2004 season, I was back at school and wasn't able to be here for the championship celebration. That would take the cake, but honestly, just coming to the ballpark, uh, you know, five, six, seven times a summer and watching games and when the, the Bison were affiliated with the Pittsburgh Pirates was a, a great thrill of mine. At Pat WGR on Twitter, from watching the Bisons to being the voice of the herd. Pat, thank you very much for making the time. Thanks, Jesse. Appreciate it. Talk to you next week. Oh, you bet. And so there you go. Right around the nest. Jay talking our way. Triple A, double A, A advanced, single A. There was one last question that I forgot to get to, and here we go. Jimmy Cordero, he's back with the organization. What did I remember about Jimmy Cordero as you, uh, when he was a member of the Lansing Lugnuts? He was a Lugnut with very little fanfare. He was a relatively older guy, older than the median age in the Midwest League. I think we had him at age 22, 23. And all I knew was he was a right-hander in the bullpen. And then I'm asking around about various guys, what does this guy have? What does that guy have? What's his strength? What's that strength? I was told about Cordero. He throws fuzz. And I was told he's going to throw about 97, 98 miles an hour. Just be ready. 
and he went out there to the mound, and he whipped it in as hard as he could. Was he? Were his numbers exceptional, like let's say a Jackson Reese? No, but he threw really hard. And at one point, I sat down and I asked him, "What's the hardest you've ever thrown?" And he said, "Oh, 102 miles per hour." And that was really the summer that that velocity started to raise eyebrows because I tell you, up until then, nobody was talking about him. And I still don't think a lot of folks were talking about him for a little ways. And yet that velocity, uh, that got him acquired via trade. He was specifically asked for along with Alberto Tirado, I believe, by the Philadelphia Phillies, if I'm remembering rightly for Ben Revere. Made his way up to the major leagues and the Blue Jays just claimed him again. A relatively quiet guy. Went out there, handled business, and on the mound, threw as hard as he could. That was Jimmy Cordero. Let me play for you an interview with a guy who does not throw as hard. Right now is working at 94, 95 miles an hour with the lug nuts. Told me back in his high school days he threw it at 98 miles an hour, though. And his name is worthy of consideration in its own right. I had to sit down with Cree Finfrock. So we begin by talking about pitching. And I do end by asking him about his great name, Cree Finfrock. Get to know the Lansing Lugnuts right-handed reliever. This is Jesse Goldberg-Strasser, joined by Lansing Lugnuts pitcher Cree Finfrock. Cree, when did you first pitch in a baseball game? Probably whenever you start pitching in Little League. I'm not sure what age it is, but super early. Did you ask to pitch, or did a coach throw you out there? I think my dad was the coach, and I think he just threw me out there. How'd you enjoy it? I've always loved pitching, so it's... uh. It's, it's fun. Was it something you were immediately good at? Uh, I've always I was always a two-way player. I uh, when I was younger, I always thought of myself as a shortstop outfielder, and just when I hit high school, I just kind of stuck with pitching. Speed, power guy, or both as a as a batter? Uh, more of a speed guy. I could swing for power, but it wasn't wasn't anything spectacular. As you're pitching, all right, you got your fastball. What's the second pitch you learned? Uh, second pitch was a changeup. My dad wouldn't let me throw any kind of curveball, slider, anything along those lines until basically almost high school. So what, were you in eighth grade when you first threw your first breaking ball? Probably about eighth grade. Uh, eighth grade to uh, to ninth grade, probably right, right around that age. I was reading about just how good of a pitcher you were in high school. Was there one game that you threw that really stood out? Uh... Nothing in particular. I mean, I just went out there. I didn't think of anything as in, like, any different. I just threw it. I never had any kind of pressure on me, so I just went out there and threw it. I never had anything that really stood out to me, I guess. What was the hardest that you threw in high school? Uh, 97, 98. Was it true that there was an accident with your hand getting slammed in a car door? There was. It was a, a freak accident. Me and my friends were out... Uh, um, just we, I like to ride four-wheelers and kind of do a side-by-side just out uh, mudding. Mm-hmm. And I was at the back of my truck with my hand in the door frame, and he came by, saw the door open, and slammed it on my hand. Where were you in high school at this point? What year? Uh, I was a senior. What part of senior year? Uh, very end. I was probably six weeks till the draft. Oh, so. so did that affect the draft at all? I'm not sure exactly, but I mean, I, w- I would like to say yes, but everything have... happens for a reason. Okay, so you go into the draft, the senior year, and then after that, off to college. How did you find Central Florida, or how did they find you? Uh, I committed to as a, I want to say a freshman or sophomore, I can't remember exactly, but uh, committed there super early and just kind of uh, everything just fell into place, went there, stayed there for four years, had a unfortunate sh- uh, shoulder surgery, so it's... Uh, 
But I mean, it was a good, good four years. It was fun. When did the shoulder surgery pop up? When did you get hurt? There's no exact date. I'd never had like a one pitch kind of thing where it, where it happened all of a sudden. But it was just kind of uh, throughout my sophomore year, I kind of dealt with some uh, command issues. Velocity dropped a little bit. We weren't sure exactly as to what was causing it. Um, ended up coming back from, uh, I went up to the Cape Cod League, came back and had a, had an MRI and it showed that I had a, a flap tear in my labrum. So, How much time did you lose then to that injury and the recovery? Uh, in total from live game to live game was 18 months a lot of time. It is. How did you spend it away from baseball? Uh, it was tough. I mean, I kind of had to sit back and watch for, for, for the first time in my career, really. And it was, uh, it was, a, it was a long time. It was, uh, it was time that I was able to sit back and kind of evaluate myself and what I needed to do better and what I needed to uh, just kind of grow as a person. So what did you say? What did you say, okay, here's what I need to work on for myself? Uh, just more of my mentality. I was coming off, uh, I was uh, high school kid, young in college, just I needed to kind of uh, just settle down. I would it was I was I'm a perfectionist, so I like to uh, like everything. Everything has to go my way, or, or I kind of just let it get to me. So I kind of just let things and uh, let that that time. Just, I was able to sit back and watch my teammates, and that time gave me the, the time to think about it. Baseball is a game of failure, so it's uh, I knew I'm gonna fail at some point, so. Something that I've talked to other lug nuts about, how it's good to be hard on yourself, but only good if that's constructive and not destructive. Mm -hmm. So where are you right now in dealing with your own failures? Uh, I mean, I'm positive. I, if, if I have a bad outing or I have something that's going against me, I just kind of see what I can do to fix it. I don't kind of beat myself up on it. I just am along for the ride, trusting the process. With Cree Finfrock, okay, 18 months are over. How good did it feel to get back on the field in your uniform? Oh, it was awesome. It was, uh, you get those first day jitters back again. It's just like every other year. Um, yeah, I, I was nervous. I can't, can't lie to you about that. Did you get it back immediately or did it take time to get back to being you again? Uh, it took time. I mean, I threw in the fall and, and early spring and just from live game, it's different when you see, obviously, your teammates leading into another team. It's, you get the adrenaline going and everything like that. So it's, uh, it was fun. Did you hear from your teammates and your coaches how glad they were to have you back out there? Yeah, they were glad. I mean, everybody, we had a completely new coaching staff coming uh, coming in uh, from the year prior. Um, basically, an entire new team, so nobody really knew exactly what kind of pitcher I was. Everybody was excited to see what I could offer and kind of help the team build off the uh, regional appearance we uh, made the previous year. And how did the season go for you? Uh, it was good. A, uh, a lot, I mean, I had some failures. I had some success. It was... Uh, it was good. I ended up getting obviously drafted by the Blue Jays, so overall I think it was, it was good. Approaching the draft, did you have any expectations about when, where you would be drafted? Uh, nothing in particular. I just really just wanted the chance to play pro ball. I didn't know where it was going to be at. I didn't really have any expectations really. I just wanted to get the opportunity to play. All right, so the draft occurs. Where were you when you heard your name was called or when you received your phone call? Where was that? I was actually in the process of cleaning my truck. So I was, uh, yeah, I was just cleaning my truck. Uh, my my phone was in my pocket. I heard it ringing, and uh, um, when I got the call, was it a quick turnaround from that to pitching in a minor league game? Yeah, it was two three weeks, and I was I was out there. I was up in uh, Bluefield last year, so I was uh, went over to mini camp and pretty short time over there. Got shipped up to Bluefield, and it was. Right into the right into the fire. Did you ask anybody for advice about what minor league ball was going to be like? 
yeah, I have some guys that I've played with in the past, and they've been in the minor leagues. They know, uh, they know all the ins and outs of it. They tell me it's just a grind, just getting through it every day, just uh, whatever I could do to uh, prepare myself mentally to play every day, just to do that. With Lugnuts pitcher Kreef Infrock. All right, last year you're in Bluefield. I've heard that Bluefield is basically uh, it's baseball. Mm-hmm. That's what you've got. There's nothing else. True. Yeah, exactly. There's uh, very few restaurants. Uh, not a whole lot to do, but that's kind of what was um, what I was expecting at the first year. I wanted to focus on baseball. I had no other distractions, so it was, it was nice. How was it with Dennis Holmberg and Adam Bernero? Oh, it was awesome. Dennis is a great guy. Adam's a great pitching coach. Uh, yeah, the atmosphere was great. They uh, just going in there. They uh, kind of just kept the team on track, and it was uh, it was a great year. We uh, made a little run in the playoffs and uh, didn't come out successful, but it was uh, it was fun. Did Dennis give you either a nickname or any weird gift? Let me think about that. Any weird gifts? Any nicknames? I'm not sure. I mean, everybody just normally calls me Finn. Um, any gifts? I've heard uh, weird stories about Dennis Holmberg. Yeah, he gives... Uh, um, I, can't, I can't think of anything particular, but there was... Uh, yeah, I'm not sure on that one. I can't remember. Last year, your Bluefield Blue Jays look a lot like this year's Lansing Lugnut. Mm-hmm. How has that been looking around when you come and join us and it's a lot of the guys that you played with last year? Yeah, it's awesome. It's in a pretty even mix of Vancouver and Bluefield. There's uh, obviously more guys joining us. Uh, I'm, I just got on the team two weeks ago, so it's uh, nice to see, see some familiar faces, meet new people, and kind of build off what we did last year. What are you working on right now on the mound? Uh, I've just been working on throwing strikes. I had a little command issues last year, just obviously with my first uh, year off shoulder surgery, so just kind of perfecting everything that I've uh, I've been working on for the past couple of years. Are you now back at full strength? I believe so, yeah. I mean, with uh, shoulder-wise, everything's there. Now it's just uh, perfecting all the uh, little minor tweaks that you can do with your pitches and stuff along those lines. If you don't mind me asking about your name, what's the best reaction you've gotten when people have heard, hey, this is Cree Finfrock? Normally it's just kind of like, what? What, what is that name? It's, I've, I've heard it all, seen it all. It's, it's, it's funny. So, Cree, and let's, let's tell the story on the microphone instead of off the microphone. You were named after your great-uncle, right? Uh, it was my, I, think, I believe it was my dad's great-great-uncle. Um, I'm not exactly sure of how far along it goes, but it's, I know there's a couple people of my dad's side of the family with the name Cree, and they, I guess my parents just like the name Cree. How proud of you, uh, are you of being Cree? I am proud. It's a, I guess it's a family tradition uh, naming uh, their kids Cree, so it's a cool name. It's short. It's different. And besides baseball, what else do you really enjoy? Uh, fishing. Fishing and doing stuff to my truck. I like to um, do anything with my truck. Do you have many rods and reels? Uh, quite a few. How many? How many? Uh, 10, 15 different obviously different uh, uses for each of them. Kreef and Proc, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. And that does it for another week of Around the Nest, Jay talking our way around the Blue Jays organization. Big thanks to Adam Jaxa in Lansing, Pat Malacaro in Buffalo, Jim Tarabokia with the Dunedin Blue Jays, and Tyler Murray with New Hampshire. Once again, I'm Jesse Goldberg-Strassler. You just heard from Cree Finfrock. Here's to Hayden Godfrey with Bluebird Banter and helping to post and write for us, the minor leaguer, big time as well. Thanks to you for tuning in, keeping us company week after week. On Twitter, we're at Around Nest. 
Until next week, seven days away, enjoy the baseball.